Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com, and from Iberia Bank, offering comprehensive banking services designed to meet the needs of consumer, small business, and commercial clients, serving Louisiana clients for 100 128 years and now serving a regional base with a commitment to developing people and investing in its communities. IberiaBank.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp and 30 North Investments. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. In the U.S., spending on health care is counted in the trillions. It accounts for about 18% of our GDP, and in the next few years, that's projected to go up to 20%. You've probably heard politicians say that we spend many times more per capita on health care than any other developed country, but the result of all this spending doesn't result in a healthier population than in those comparable countries. So it makes sense to ask if there are alternative healthcare options that might deliver a better return for a massive investment. The current healthcare model is you get sick, you go to a clinic or a hospital, and you get treatment based principally on medication. I want to introduce you to three local doctors who are, each in their own way, challenging that model. Dr. Richard Milani is the Chief Clinical Transformation Officer for Oshner Health System. Dr. Milani is charged with integrating technological advances to keep Oshner on the cutting edge of healthcare. If you're wondering exactly what that means, here's a good illustration. Oshner was the first hospital in the country to integrate the Apple Watch into monitoring patients. Richard, welcome out to lunch. Thanks, it's great to be here. Now, Dr. Mark Berenson is challenging the concept of transporting sick people to a doctor's exam room. Mark sees patients like a regular primary care physician, but not in a clinic. He's New Orleans' only house call doctor, available 24 hours a day for everything from routine exams to urgent care. Mark, welcome out to lunch. Thanks, thanks for having me. Over the last few decades, psychiatry has moved away from the Freudian concept of blaming everything on mom to a model that treats mental illness with medication. Dr. Jose Calderon is a psychiatrist with an alternative approach called mindful psychiatry. Jose's private practice is New Orleans' only fully integrative psychiatric clinic where care includes biomedicine, psychotherapy, and mind-body practices to treat psychiatric conditions, to promote wellness and reduce stress. Jose, welcome out to lunch. Pleasure to be here, thank you. Richard, in a big organization like Oshner, there's a presumably a sophisticated budgeting that correlates costs with results. When you look beyond these normal columns of numbers and start looking at things like Apple Watches and apps, you're in uncharted waters. I imagine that must make some people in corporate a little nervous. How are you deciding which technological advances to pursue? Are there tech salespeople, like there are drug reps selling you products, or are you on your own at conferences and looking up stuff on Google? 
Well, I think it's a combination of things. Uh, first of all, you started off the program by mentioning the, the health care budget. So we're exceeding $3 trillion. 86% of those dollars, 86% of the $3 trillion is in chronic disease care. Whoa. And if you look at how we manage chronic disease in this country, and in fact across the globe, uh, we don't do a very good job in, as a health delivery system. So it's episodic care. We're not really continually monitoring people that have diabetes or hypertension or heart failure or whatever the chronic disease might be. So the concept is, how can we start collecting data directly from patients' homes or from their bodies on a regular basis? And then we can then intervene when we need to intervene as opposed to a presupposed appointment at some time in the future. So that's really the concept here. The Apple Watch is just one technology that we're looking at in terms of changing behavior. And how so, would it work, by the way? Well, uh, again, recognize that so much of chronic disease is caused by lifestyle habits and lifestyle behavior. So for instance, about uh, half the people with chronic disease don't take their medications as prescribed. A medication reminder is what people would like. Uh, and there are medication reminders that can occur via your smartphone or things like that, but sometimes your smartphone might be in your purse or in your wallet or you didn't hear it go off because you were at a noisy party. Uh, the Apple Watch has a very nice uh, app that actually taps you on the wrist and you really? can turn to your watch and actually pops up with the actual pill in color that you're supposed to take. Now again, if you're on multiple meds, you might get confused about which medicines right. do and now we're actually having the ability to say, no, it's this blue one with <laughs> green stripes with the number two on it or something <laughs> that's time for you to take. So that's so we've looked at this in people with that are asking for medication reminders as a behavior change tool and it's been very effective. Likewise, the, the watch has some nice, interesting functions in terms of uh, getting people to stand up or to exercise more. Um, oh. and not so much like a Fitbit. Uh, Fitbits are very good at tracking data, but not so much at getting and reminding you when it's time Wouldn't to Wouldn't it be great if it said, things. like, don't eat that? You know, well, it's <laughs> it, uh, it doesn't have the ability to do that yet, but certainly it has the ability to, uh, to help stimulate people that are inactive. And so we've looked at that as a behavior change tool and um, uh, it's, been, it's been reasonably effective as well. So we're looking at things that can not only collect data from the person or their home, but also things that can help improve health behaviors that we're trying to stimulate. Now Mark, uh, doctors making house calls is nothing new. Uh, there was a TV show like that. Uh, mo most family doctors made house calls up until the practice fell out of favor in the 1970s. Did that change come about because medicine changed? For example, because the kind of advanced tests that insurance companies demand can only be performed in a clinic? Or was it simply that having patients sit in a waiting room for an hour to get an eight-minute consultation is more efficient uh, as, a, as a business practice? Now, I'm not... I'm not against it. I love those old People magazines they give you in the in the, in the waiting room. But well, what is it? What made that change? Uh, I think it was it was the efficiency they were looking for in business, and it's it's um, it was a a change that um, provided convenience for the physician and for the medical practice, because you you in the insurance model you need to see, you know, thirty people a day, twenty to thirty a day in an office. And you can't do that when you're running around doing house calls. So the most efficient way to do it is to bring the patients into an office and you know see them for 10, 12 minutes or longer, perhaps. Um, so you can see the most uh, the most number of patients in a day. But I'll guess that you think there's something lost in that. Well, well nobody really wins when when you have a 10-minute visit. I mean, you know, people will wait two months for, to see their doctor, and then they'll wait 
45 minutes or longer in the waiting room, and then they'll get a 12 to 20 minute visit in the office. And it's very unsatisfying to patients. It's, it's unsatisfying to doctors as well. Um, you know, a lot of them are just hamsters in a wheel running as fast as they can. Um, not able to really pay close attention to the person that's sitting in front of them. And Mark, let me ask if you, um, if we came back five years from now and did a similar show, are, there, are you still going to be the only guy doing house calls or I in the beginning it. of something? I doubt it. Uh, it's growing. And I've, had a, I've been approached by a lot of people who want to join me. Um, I haven't found anyone who's a really good fit yet. It, it, we're not trained in medicine these days to be without support. We're not trained to go into someone's house. We're trained in medicine um, in this day and age to have a nurse, a tech, another doctor around, um, you know, a big building with a laboratory and a lot of tests, you know, radiology department, just a, a ton of support, which none of us are trained right now to do that. Uh, I think times are changing. I know times are changing and uh, everyone really loves what I'm doing. I know docs in other big cities around the country are doing this. I have to ask this. Can you make as much money as a doctor working out of a physical facility or is well a, a you're doing okay because this is lunch yeah. is on us really but it's <laughs> uh, <yeah>. thanks yeah <laughs> um i am able to uh, make ends meet um so i i have not um eliminated the insurance model i've just my practice moves the insurance the third party to the side so instead of having the third party in between the patient and the physician um they're on the side, and it's now the patient and the physician having a relationship, um, both a healthcare relationship and a financial relationship. And then the patient <laughs> submits my super bill <laughs> to insurance okay. for to request reimbursement. But you're not dealing with all that. That's the that's. I them. don't have the infrastructure to do that. I wouldn't be able to see, you know, the. I wouldn't be able to spend the amount of time that's required um, to see a patient if I was in the insurance model, because you need to see a lot of people each day if you're in the insurance model. Now, Jose, whenever we hear about changes to healthcare, which seems to be almost constantly, we often hear that mental healthcare is shortchanged or overlooked, uh, particularly in Louisiana. In this climate, how does a patient get to your clinic? Are there people who can't get into or haven't been helped by traditional mental health care? And what makes a patient with a mental illness that needs treating try an alternative approach? Have they already tried the traditional approaches? Well, I would say that the vast majority of people that start having symptoms, uh, you know, they take care of them themselves, friends, family, support system, etc. And then they start seeing the primary care provider. Okay. And when that, starts uh, when that starts failing, then they start looking for psychiatric care. In my case, they are, there's a significant and growing number of people that feel that there's fundamentally something that they can do for themselves rather than just taking a pill so that they and uh, and it's very empowering and so they are seeking for like-minded practitioners in many specialties and in psychiatry uh, uh, like-minded uh, psychiatrists that are doing that are we pl that are placing great emphasis in self-care and putting that at the center of, of care we, uh, Richard talked about the uh, how lifestyle affects healthcare and certainly for chronic psychiatric conditions lifestyle has a lot to do with them and and uh, traditional psychiatry uh, begins to talk about it and, and then there's a smaller group of people that uh, that are 
placing great emphasis on diet, the impact on, uh, well, certainly nutrition and physical activity and sleep, relationships, and learning skills on how to take care of ourselves. And thus comes the mindfulness and other self-care techniques. So there are people that, on their own, they're saying, there's something that I can do for myself, and, uh, and they're looking for a practice like that. Now, Jose, you, you were born and raised in Mexico? Mexico City, yes. Mexico City, wow. And then what brought you here? Well, uh, I'm married to a, to a woman that was in love. everybody's answer, by the way. With the you audience, know. Yes. Yeah. yes. We should just send our beautiful women out and just have them attract people but back that was, in. Uh, that was one thing. But the other is that this is a very unique city in which the lifestyle is pretty much uh, the lifestyle of Mexico and Latin America. The way that it's... Uh, so maybe not the population. So you may right. be in Houston or, or Miami and L.A. and you have a huge Hispanic population. But the lifestyle is... Is a U.S. lifestyle very different? But New Orleans has a very Latin European lifestyle. That's what so attracted that's me. Attracted, right? Yes. Now, with this mindful psychiatry, can you address issues like, I mean, very serious issues like schizophrenia, things like that? Yeah, certainly. Certainly, we do that. Now, speaking, uh, you were talking about payments, etc. So, people that have severe mental illness, uh, severe uh, major, severe bipolar disorder, and schizophrenia at some point later in their, in their condition, fall into social security disability or Medicare services, Medicaid services, etc. And so we are not uh, taking a significant number of those patients right. in practice. So, so just because of that, it, it tends to veer to people with anxiety and mood disorders that are a little bit more on the higher functioning uh, level. Mm -hmm. You must be fun at parties, Jose. You meet somebody and you kind of know there's something wrong with them, right? Well, there's a, there's <laughs> something. It depends, <laughs> depends if they're going to pay for the consult. Oh, that's right. right. Oh, I bet. Now, does that happen to you guys where everybody wants kind of free advice? That's always the case. Really? It's always the case, the free yeah. advice. Because <laughs> <laughs> yep. that's what I'm going to hit you up on in just a second here. <laughs> so I thought that this would really, uh, really work out. Um, why? I just have to ask all three, why did you get into the this field? I mean, uh, you know, it's... You know, I teach business at Tulane. Basically, people like it and want to make a lot of money. But this is different, isn't it? Well, I think it is different. I mean, obviously, I would imagine all of us want to try and make a difference in people's lives. And obviously, and you can do this in many ways. Um, and we see also problems. I think that the common theme among the three of us, we're all seeing problems in the existing way that healthcare is delivered. And we're trying to find a better way to impact people's lives. So... Um, you know, it's You it's think very people fulfilling. are more open to, to changes now, uh, to, to alternatives? I, I think so. I, I mean, I think that if you just look at all sectors, I mean, just forget healthcare for a second. I mean, do you think that banking is the same now right. as it was a decade ago or airline travel and how you book your reservations or any other kind of method of consumerism? So I certainly think healthcare is no different. It's probably the one that's likely to be the most disrupted. Uh, that in education, I, you know, is what they sort of uh, That's put the last forward. to go for Yeah, I mean, education and healthcare are the two things that are sort of ripe for, for major disruption. Now, Mark, I just thought of another advantage. You, you're doing great things for people, and you're staying in shape. Right. By, by walking yeah. to these places. That's Moving so Moving all over town. <laughs> <laughs> now, Jose, Richard, Mark, let's do a round of one quick question. Now, these are questions that have come in from listeners, and I'm going to ask, uh, ask you one each. Uh, I'll start off with, with Richard. Uh, Lana Barry would like to know, when a doctor uses electronic tech like phone apps, how do I know that my medical data is only going to my doctor and not Apple or someplace else? Oh, that's, that's a great question. Um, so if we're talking about um, 
patient-generated data, they, the example they gave was Apple. Actually, none of that information uh, is owned by Apple. Uh, they don't want it, they stay away from it. It actually goes literally from uh, what's called HealthKit, which is a, a, an Apple-developed uh, platform directly into the medical record. It's through a, what's called a HIPAA secure portal. So HIPAA is the Patient Protective right. Privacy Act. Um, so none of that data is retained, is even seen by Apple. It just literally goes from the phone, which is under the individual's control. It's not retained on the phone. And it, and it goes directly from that app into a secure portal into the EMR, nothing, nothing in between. So, uh, so we have to make sure that when we do collect data, we, we follow certain protocols such that all those scenarios do exist. But uh, if we're using Apple, actually they actually create a platform to make it quite easy for us. All right, all right. Now, Mark, here's one from someone calling themselves Year of the Cat. I don't, I remember that song, but uh, Mr. and Mrs. Cat asks, <laughs> driving around New Orleans all day, every day, fighting idiot drivers, road construction, and potholes, what technique do you use to control your mood to arrive upbeat? I take deep breaths. <laughs> and I, I recognize that getting angry at something going on that's out of my control is not going to fix anything. And that really actually, that's, that's something that kept me calm working in the emergency room. A lot of things happen out of your control, out of our, all of our control. And just you know, doing your best and focusing on you know, what's important and not getting bent out of shape about the little things really you know, keeps me cool-headed and um, allows me to arrive at someone's house with a smile. And one more thing is I really enjoy what I do. And so it's not difficult to show up upbeat and happy and feeling good about what I'm, what I'm about to do. So recognizing which things are under your control and which ones aren't is, yeah, is, yeah. I've got to learn to do that myself. But yeah. Now, Jose, mm -hmm. uh, here's one from Kenneth Widner. Now, Kenneth says, diseases like polio have been eradicated because they kill people. So does depression. Do you see any hope for an enlightened healthcare policy that would approach mental illness um, the way we've gone after physical diseases. Yeah, I think uh, I think that the more the more we understand conditions like uh, mental illness, we see that there's a, those are syndromes. It's mostly a symptom. Depression is not a, a a solid condition. It can be the depression of somebody and somebody else is very different. One is due maybe to an imbalance of bacteria in their GI system and their diet. The other one is maybe a genetic predisposition in the way they produce uh, serotonin. So. We begin to look at, uh, at mental health conditions in, uh, as, as how the, the totality of the body and the lifestyle begins to affect them. So I do think that that is changing. Certainly depression now is treated by in primary care, is screened by in primary care. Addictions is going in that direction too as well. The healthcare policies are moving into screening. And so I do think that we're, we're in the process of going in that direction. And, and people, you know, a couple of generations ago, you know, viewed... Uh, depression is kind of a personal weakness or something yes. like that. I mean, yes. we're, we're moving. People are starting to get it. Yes, people, people begin to understand, uh, you know, they're, they're one, one by one. So first, first now it's been depression, and now it's been treated in many different settings, and people talk about it. Now we're moving for addictions to as well, and when there's a large movement of people coming out of the closet on addictions and the anonymity of addictions, for example, and the anonymity of mental illness. Celebrities talking about it. We've had... Uh, the unfortunate tragic events of people committing suicide, like celebrities, Robin Williams, that, Robin Williams yep. for example, and so that opens the conversation. 
the healthcare reform is opening the conversation. That's one of the top uh, aspects of mental health reform that, that uh, the people are talking about. I always wanted to ask this, are most comedians depressed? Interesting question. I don't know, that's an interesting <laughs> question. Well, that's why we'll have you back on the show. We'll find <laughs> <Thank> out. <you. laughs> Jose Calderon, Richard Milani, Mark Berenson. We're used to hearing about changes to the healthcare system. Talked about politicians on a national and statewide scale. The change we're talking about is very often theoretical or wishful thinking. It's been fascinating to hear about changes to the healthcare system that are really happening and that are local and personal. Thank you for taking the time out of your medical practices to join me uh, today and out to lunch. Thanks, Brad. Thank you very much for having us. Now it's back to, back to the patients. They, uh, my guests on Out to Lunch today have been Dr. Richard Milani, the Chief Clinical Transformation Officer at Oshner Health System, Dr. Mark Berenson, Founder and Medical Director of NOLA Doc Physician House Calls, and Dr. Jose Calderon, who practices mindful psychiatry. You can find out more about Dr. Milani, Dr. Berenson, and Dr. Calderon by following the links on our website. It's neworleans.com and www.no.org. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our researcher is Matthew Ellefson. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitch's new record, Puzzle, is out now. You can find out more about that at MitchellForeman.com. You can get the show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, www.no.org and itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, and these are particularly attractive doctors, uh, you can find our photos uh, from this show on our website and Facebook page. The photos were taken by Allison Moon. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com, and from Iberia Bank, offering comprehensive banking services designed to meet the needs of consumer, small business, and commercial clients, serving Louisiana clients for 100 128 years and now serving a regional base with a commitment to developing people and investing in its communities, iberiabank.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp and 30 North Investments.